This is Daniel Figella, head of research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. You're listening to the AI in Business podcast. Financial services is certainly at no shortage for the possibility space of AI and now this new wave of generative AI. We've had some great recent interviews. We had the CIO of Goldman Sachs on recently, HSBC, UBS, you name it. We're getting a perspective from Deloitte today, and this episode will be the first in a series on the future of AI and Gen AI in financial services. Our focus this week is on investment banking and specifically the front office in investment banking. What are the particular tasks that are beginning to be automated or improved with Gen AI? And what are the keys to adoption, including being able to trust this technology? If we're informing some of our most important decisions in investment banking with AI or with maybe summaries or research conjured up by generative AI, what are the placeholders we need to put in place and the thought processes we need to go through to ensure that we could both gain the productivity increases without incurring any additional risk through adopting a new technology? Our guests this week are Andrea Haskell and Val Srinivas. Val was a part of the process of building Deloitte's report on this topic. They have a report titled, Unleashing a New Era of Productivity and Investment Banking Through the Power of Generative AI. We'll be referring to that in our email newsletter for those of you who are signed up at emerj.com slash n1. That's n as a newsletter and then the number one, emerge.com slash n1. So be sure to check that out. But Val was part of putting that research report together. And Andrea works closely in investment banking and has for a great many years. So I wanted to get both of their perspectives together on both the use cases and adoption best practices for this first episode of this Deloitte series. I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you're going to enjoy the episode. Without further ado, this is Val and Andrea with Deloitte here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Andrea, Val, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah, glad to have you both here. And, and there's a bunch to get into. We're speaking about sort of investment banking in the front office, lots of interesting use cases to dive into. But before even going there, I want to talk about the trends and the challenges that Gen AI is presenting in investment banking. And Val, I'll pick on you here. You were a big part of putting together sort of Deloitte's recent thought leadership report on this topic and theme. What are some of the high level findings around Gen AI and investment banking that, that you'd like to open with that kind of set the table for us? Excellent. Thank you, Dan. So yeah, we published this report uh, maybe six weeks ago, and it was focused on how can investment banks unleash the productivity in their uh, many, many activities that they perform through generative AI. And I would say the biggest finding that we came up with was that productivity in the front office in investment banking, and there are a range of front office activities, of course, can range from improvement in productivity can range from 27% to 35% by using generative AI. So that's a pretty remarkable boost to front office uh, productivity. And you know this ranges from you know research reports to pitch books to you know putting deal structures together etc. So this is uh, really exciting and you know I'm happy to talk more about the details but I would say that's the main finding. Got it. Okay. So some of those are some of the, the big picture perspectives here. When you think about overall sort of new trends, new challenges, things that open up, was there anything that you saw enter the narrative? You know, it's clear that there's a productivity boost. I think people can be excited about that. Are there any kinds of trends riding along with that of, of sort of where it might be used or, or even maybe challenges you're seeing emerge in the dialogue as people are starting to think about it? Anything else from kind of that high level as this tech starts to settle into investment banking? Yeah. So 
you know, AI is not new to investment banking and trading. Definitely not. Um, yeah. Many, you know, some of the banks are perhaps the most, you know, advanced in the use of AI, machine learning, you know, NLP and so on and so forth, especially in the trading context, I think. So the question is, you know, we have this relatively new technology, generative AI, and how can that be embedded with existing AI infrastructure and systems and processes Hmm. to boost, well, as I said, you know, to boost productivity, but also, you know, maybe, you know, over time, unlock revenue opportunities, you know, on the growth side. This is not just about cost and efficiencies and productivity, but also, you know, revenue growth. And I think that will probably come a bit later, uh, in my estimation. You know, most entities, I guess, are more focused on efficiencies and productivity. So that's something to keep in mind, I think. And also, as our listeners may know, this technology is advancing very, very quickly, you know. And how do you keep pace with it? You know, how do you adapt? How do you still maintain a competitive edge? And, you know, it cannot be just a me too kind of proposition, right? So they need to look at it more holistically, I think. So th- those are some of the points I would emphasize here. This is this is a good place to start. So you're bringing up a few things. One of them that, that floats to mind is this idea that, yes, certainly these folks, if we just talk about trading, you know, have been informing trading decisions, maybe automating some amount of research work with AI, you know, creating dashboards to track the number of shipments of commodities to a specific port in Thailand or looking at the level of the oil reserves and specific geographies. There's all kinds of interesting trading-related information, drinking in related applications of AI. I guess when we layer Gen AI on top of that, how does that work with these existing systems? It sounds like for you, that's part of the concern. And then the other thing that you're mentioning here is that just like in many other parts of legacy enterprise AI adoption, you're initially seeing more of the emphasis and attention on efficiency than revenue, at least in these early days. Is that a, a correct kind of summation here? Well, I would say so. Yeah. And in terms of uh, the, um, exactly what generative AI can do to help, I mean, sticking to the productivity angle, you know, a lot of junior analysts at these investment banks who spend you know, an enormous amount of time gathering information summarizing the information, putting it together in a way that's appealing, whether for internal, you know, senior bankers or external clients. This is, you know, often quite manual. So the drudgery of that work can be minimized significantly, I think, with the generative AI tools, you know, whether it's text or images, and increasingly perhaps even audio and video to enhance the appeal and the, you know, value of those outputs. Got it. So I'm going to throw some arbitrary examples into the air here and just see if you can shoot them down. I'm going to try to make this a little bit tangible for our listeners and, and give them some some examples to really think about here. I'm imagining maybe someone who's trading some commodity and maybe they want to pull in all the news headlines about the prices or speculation about the price of that commodity in Southeast Asia, where they think there's going to be a lot of really impactful news happenings that could affect price. They might leverage generative AI to maybe pull in, but also potentially summarize some of those top points and maybe put together any underlying narrative so that they they can do a little bit less of A, the manual Googling, but B, maybe even some of the summarization and some of the writing. Am I starting to touch on the, the right page here, Val? Or are oh, there- exactly. Okay. I mean, that, that, that's how I think it's going to play out. And 
that's probably the the areas where most banks are focused on yeah right so we can we augment the let's say in this case the analysts role and work and minimize you know the amount of time they spend on some of these manual tasks so that they can focus on other things absolutely and just uh, another area which i want to emphasize here and we touch upon this in the report is you know going beyond trading in the investment banking world you know there is M&A, there's advisory, there's equity and debt issuance. There's a lot of stuff that's processed and analyzed and summarized and synthesized and so on and so forth. So whether it's company fundamentals, you know, tracking, as you said, information about maybe a commodities firm in Southeast Asia or something like that. So those are also other areas. I think it's not just trading, but potentially also, you know, the traditional kind of investment banking areas. Yeah. And it, it's sort of, you brought up that it might start with text, but it could get even beyond that. And I, I can imagine a world where some traders want to programmatically generate a podcast playing at 2x speed, giving them real-time updates about some specific news event, or maybe instead of creating a spreadsheet, they want to create a five-minute video summary with infographics or something. And we're probably not there right now, but I could see a place where this Gen AI foundation gets laid and eventually, we can crystallize ideas very, very quickly as it starts to become richer in terms of media. Do you see clients thinking about that at all? Do you consider that to be viable in, in the next few years ahead? What are your thoughts there? Well, yes. You know, as the nature and scope of information kind of expands, right, beyond text, for example, you know, think about our own personal lives, right? You know, how much time do we spend consuming audio content, you know, podcasts? Or, or videos, for that matter. So, the, you know, as this increases uh, around the world, you know, the use of non-text kind of modalities, you, you can you can imagine them becoming more and more important, right? Uh, maybe there's a picture of something happening, or there's a video of some event uh, before it even kind of gets translated into text. So, how how is that kind of embedded into uh, generative AI, and how do you take all that and create new new outputs? You know based on a combination of text, audio, video, whatever else, and yeah. then coding to some extent. Yeah. It seems like a couple paragraph summary might be a nice default initial output, but I could easily see how this starts to branch into wildly more divergent means of expressing information. Maybe it would depending on the trader, maybe depending on the use case. I know, you know, we even talked off mic a little bit about kind of pitch books and things along those lines. Is is there anything different that comes into play with that side of kind of the assets we might build or augment with Gen AI? I think the principles are pretty much the same. Got it. The latency may be an important factor, though. When you're trading securities, time is uh, you know, extremely important, right? It could happen in seconds, for, for, for instance. So how do you ensure that the output created by generative AI, you know, in extremely limited time spans. I mean, how is that? Can you can you trust it? You know, are there any other controls, etc.? I know and Andrea can speak to it more later on. Yes, yes. There are some differences, I think, in in the context. What are you using it for? You know, what is the real purpose? And you know, what are some risks involved in? You know, without a, let's say a manual kind of overlay or other kinds of controls in the process. Understood. And, and this this does naturally lend our transition over to 
to Andrea and the other part of our conversation. There's a lot to get into here, Andrea, around bringing this stuff to life. And Val, I'm glad we have some use cases on the table so our listeners can see a little bit how this could affect workflows. But Andrea, making these workflows come to life is obviously much more than you know picking the right open source model or the right provider. There's a lot of context between you know talent and tech and legal and whatever else to make this happen. When you think about those critical factors for leaders to bear in mind as they they aim to get the ROI from this tech, what are those big factors that come to mind for you? Yeah, it's interesting. We're at a very critical juncture, I think, in the adoption journey. When I talked with clients even just a few months ago, the conversation was very much around the use cases, the capabilities, in some cases, proving out the capabilities through a proof of concept. Now, the conversation I'm finding to be evolving, to be more holistic, which is a good thing, right? It's maturing. We're thinking about, okay, we we know how the technology works in a sense. We can certainly work with the right people and architects and vendor partners and ecosystems to scale from a technical perspective. But how do we actually adopt this across other dimensions of our business? What is the talent implications of this? Do we need to upskill? Do we need to reskill? Do we need to hire differently? And that even lends to some bigger existential questions about how we educate our young people, right? What are the skills our education system is equipping them with versus what they might require when they enter the workforce? Another big part of this conversation outside talent is around operating model. Do we need to rethink operating models? And that lends to the risk and control piece of this, which is how do you do this responsibly? So if you want to scale this, if you want to move from a proof of concept into an actual production scenario, what are the control points in place so that you can have confidence that the output generated using this technology is reliable? And it's very interesting. I was with a client just the other day talking about scenarios, kind of like doomsday scenarios, right? Of imagine a future where generative AI generates a public filing and then investment banking model takes and scrapes from it certain content and then quickly provides some type of you know execution on buy or sell right if that was perpetuated on a mass scale if there was an error or something we she mentioned there had been a material error in one of their public filings there was a transposition in uh, shares outstanding that small error that happened in today's world that ended up just being a restatement fairly minor event could perpetuate into some kind of massive dissolution, right, of a certain businesses. So, you know, how how do we protect ourselves against a future where we're so interconnected and there's no human in the loop? And that and that is the big message here is the human is in the loop, right? You don't, these are augmentative technologies. They're meant to support the worker. They're not going to replace the worker outright anytime soon. They're going to change the definition of the worker's job profile and what we might have previously required of an entry-level investment banker might look a little bit different. But I think actually to their benefit as well, because they're going to be doing higher order work, higher value work. And this co-pilot, if you will, type of technology will assist them in doing their work better, more reliably, more consistently, and take some of the grunt work out of the equation. Yeah. And it, so there's a couple strings we can tug on here to to sort of unroll. You have the talent side, and then we also have the trust side, just because we just wrapped up on it and my brain is already there. I'd love to dive in a little bit on this this trust side, because I, I, I would concur. I think that for folks who maybe aren't aware of exactly how this technology works, it sounds like, well, maybe it's just going to generate decisions and do all kinds of things with our money. But I 
I, I think that to your point, there is sort of that opportunity to have a human in the loop. I can almost see two sides of this coin on on some level. And I'd love to see, Andrew, if these are ideas that have come up in your discussions or if these are things that you even think are viable. On the one hand, we have kind of an argument that, hey, if we can use generative AI to more thoroughly research and format and maybe summarize and congeal some of the themes, the data, the headlines, whatever it is that we we need perspective on to help support our investment banking activities, that could mean that a human could spend uh, hopefully much more time really m- deciding what to do with these trends that are in front of them and deciding whether they want to go left or go right for a specific decision, as opposed to spending 95% of their time filling out an Excel sheet and then running a, a pivot table on it or something like that. So that that's one argument. I think the other side of it is, hey, how can we sort of buffer against the idea that maybe there's hallucinations in the data? So it's 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 telling me that there's all these headlines that happened in all these Malaysian newspapers speculating about the currency, but maybe there was only one and it, it kind of made up two names of two newspapers and said some other things along those lines. And maybe even having that in the background is something that, geez, you know, we want to be spooked by or, or you know, we, we're, we're a little bit afraid of. Have you heard people articulate that? Would there be anything you'd say to folks in those positions? Because I think there's a lot of narratives floating around here. Yeah, I think you're touching exactly on the misconceptions that I'm I'm hearing as well, which is this like autonomous future where machines are fully running our world, right? And yeah. I don't see that future in the near term for a, a variety of reasons. I mean, even if you look back on the course of human history, every invention we've ever had and inventions that were clearly designed to free up our time, we have replaced our time with other tasks, oh, sure right? And just Absolutely. how we evolve as a as a species and how our work and the type of work we do as humans evolves. So I think the important thing to remember is generative AI in particular is generative, right? It's generating content, it's generating summaries. And like you mentioned, that those summaries can accelerate our work, but free up the human for higher order tasks and thinking. The hallucinations you mentioned are also you know, a top, big topic, of course, understandably, because the output of these models can be so English and you know, fluently English, competent and confident sounding that it can provide a false sense of accuracy. It could yeah, be completely yeah. factually incorrect, but it yeah. sounds awesome, right? It sounds, <laughs> it sounds so good, so believable. So how do we protect against that? And then the bias point too, bias in data, right? Our data is biased. It's just a fact. And so how do we ensure that any data we're training models on, we're taking the right techniques and guardrails to fine tune on data sets that are not biased to try to ensure we arrive at outcomes that are as least biased as possible. And then yeah. again, back to the human in the loop component, that's where you really just cannot have fully autonomous systems in this area and in the near term, because you need that human, you know, higher order thinking. And one of my kind of favorite misconceptions about AI, and even was one of, one of my own in the very beginning was, oh God, this is going to get smarter than us, right? It's going to take over. It's going to be smarter than humans. And really all it's doing, generative AI, is just predicting the next word. It's really, really good at predicting the next word. But it has no moral compass. It has no higher order thinking. It's not actually understanding even the next word. It's just using next word prediction based off of all of its training. So we still need humans to provide that critical thinking layer and to take that information and make the decisions with that information and not rely on the AI, generative AI technology to do the decisioning. 
yeah, we're, we're certainly not at that stage yet. And, and all the things that, that you'd mentioned sort of AI doesn't have, obviously the, the caveat here is yet, you know, the eight years ago, defeating an AI or defeating a human at the game of Go was literally a thousand year task. So who knows where the heck the future is going to take us, but certainly autonomous banking with nobody sitting there trading is not a realistic near-term scenario by all means. And you're absolutely right about that. And it, it almost sounds like, you know, some of what we've heard from enterprise leaders, Andrea, and, and maybe you've heard similar things. I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is that some of them are are kind of wisening up and realizing, hey, we can buffer against some of these risks with a bit of forethought. We can ask ourselves up front, what are the places where we want generative AI sort of conjured information or research to sort of help support research or, or support a decision? What are the decisions where we really need, you know, a human approval to do, you know, this, that, or the other thing in various workflows? And maybe just think up front about what are we okay with or not okay with and just make sure that we're running use cases that make everybody feel comfortable. So when we're adopting the technology, nobody's secretly worrying that AIs are going to be off trading away in a dark corner because we did some forethought, you know, we set up some guardrails and some governance and we did that. And then the same thing with governance, maybe we can think about what's the kind of data that we think might have a compliance risk in terms of levels of bias about maybe something politically sensitive or whatever the case may be. What are the kinds of data that maybe we want to sort of steer clear from in terms of generating things out of or, or or touching in on and then set up those guardrails. And then when we go into adoption mode, we can all feel like, hey, we sort of know what bias things we're already going to steer away from. We know what decisions are going to stay firmly in the hands of humans. We can now feel much more confident kind of making our way forward. Does that click with some of the dialogue you've heard on the enterprise side as well, or have you heard other things around that? Absolutely. Right now, the conversation is very much about thinking through use case prioritization, mapping use cases against a clear framework of business value versus complexity. And part of that complexity can be the nature of the data, the sensitivity of it, the privacy of it, the inherent bias it might present versus other types of data. And plotting use cases on this type of framework has been very helpful. It's actually a visual two by two matrix that I work with clients on to see, you know, here's opportunities high value, but maybe also highly complex for a variety of reasons. So it's transformative. The business case might be there, but you know, it's going to take time. And so maybe that's not where you start, right? Like that could be in a roadmap to come later on down the line. Then you have your more low-hanging fruit use cases, right? You see business value. You also have lower implementation complexity. In the case of many of my banking clients, these are like middle and back office efficiency type use cases using yeah. internal data sets, not client data yeah. um, or data that would in any way go out yep. to clients. So it, it provides a way to experiment without reputational risk at this early juncture. Totally makes sense. So yeah, setting up initial sandboxes, initial use cases, rules around data we're willing to touch or not touch, rules around decisions that need to stay in the hands of humans under different circumstances and and feeling a little bit more safe. Certainly your idea about beginning with data that that does involve the customer as well is, is something that we've heard too. You mentioned the talent side of this in addition to all that. And, and obviously, at least in the past, again, I don't know exactly what the future is going to look like here, but at least in the past when we've found a way for machines to get more done for us, we found other ways to fill up our time pretty quickly. Uh, we work many hours a week here in America and we have a lot more technology than we used to have. So certainly there's going to be plenty for humans to do when you think about planning for talent, thinking about augmenting our existing talent, maybe we'll need to hire fewer p 
people to expand our trading operations if more of them can get more done. What are some of those considerations? Let's call them kind of take-home messages for leadership around how to think about this new technology along with planning for talent and growing their teams. Yeah, it's it's such a fascinating part of the conversation. There's you know there's certainly going to be jobs that you won't need quite as many of and maybe even fully eventually outright will be replaced, but there's going to be net new jobs as well, right? And there's a a real push for fluency within an organization. I know uh, Prior to all this excitement with generative AI, there was a, a big push on data fluency, technology fluency, and AI fluency is following in short order. And that's really, I think, an enterprise strategy to think of everybody in a sense, you know, the, the old adage of every business leader is going to become a technology leader. It's similar similar thinking here. Every business leader is going to be a technology leader, is going to be an AI leader. AI is not just going to be something that some people do somewhere, right? It's going to be integrated and core to all of our job responsibilities. And it's also really fundamentally changing how we're interacting with our computers and our machines. So there needs to be this reskilling of the workforce so that they can interact in a way that's responsible. They're thinking critically about the outputs they're getting back from generative AI assistant type technologies. And then also an appreciation for you know, their role that they still play, right? Where they still add value as the human, because otherwise, like, it, it should be fully automated, right? If we can't defend the human role, it, it's hard to keep a case for paying humans to do things. Uh, absolutely. So, so I guess being open to some roles over time, maybe absolutely not requiring human input, but at the same time, being willing to grow and put more human effort into that, the that net new job creation. So, it feels like maybe a takeaway is be mindful of what job categories feel like they're kind of shrinking because of this and maybe what job opportunities feel like they're growing once you start getting a hold of this technology and just plan to kind of tilt your hiring and your growth around what this new technology reality requires. Exactly. Cool. Well, I think that's a strong takeaway for folks to be able to bring this stuff to life. And I think there's hardly a single financial services AI use case that shouldn't require some consideration around talent. So I'm glad that we got to touch on that. And I'm glad we also got to touch on the use cases. So Val and Andrea, I know that's all we have for time, but I appreciate you both being with me here on the show. And thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Dan. Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. Thank you to you, our listener, for tuning in all the way through to the end of this episode. And a big thank you to Andrea and Val for being able to tag team this important topic and break down what I hoped at the end of this episode would be some pretty useful advice for generally thinking through risk and benefit early in the process of adoption. I think that probably what we shared here in this episode applies to every industry. Of course, in investment banking, hopefully some of those of you who are tuned in in that sector, this will be of particular value. Value to you. Again, this is the first episode of an eight-part series on the future of AI in finance with Deloitte. We're going to be covering a lot of generative AI trends, use cases, and adoption advice. Be sure to stay tuned for those, but we're also going to have our normal editorial cadence every single Tuesday, a brand new episode here on use cases and trends on the AI in Business podcast. So, so keep it locked here. I look forward to catching you in the next episode here on the AI in Business podcast. <laughs>